Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Block Radio. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the MMA Torch Livecast Tuesday Conversation. It is Tuesday, September 14th. I am MMA Torch Editor Jamie Pennick. My co-host, as always, MMA Torch columnist Matt Pelkey and MMA Torch contributor Rich Hansen. Uh, now, we had a, a number of uh, non-UFC, non-Strike Force events over the weekend that we will get to on the show today. Uh, but we've also got a 30-minute conversation that I uh, conducted with MMAfighting.com's Ariel Helwani uh, earlier today that we will air throughout uh, during the show. Um, so a lot of my thoughts on, on some of the topics we'll, we'll hit on today are, are in that. So in, in an effort to avoid uh, some of that, I'm, I'm going to get some of your guys' thoughts on, on a couple of the big things from over the weekend. Uh, first up, Matt Hughes, BJ Penn, the trilogy is happening the third fight will take place uh, at UFC 123 in November. Actually, uh, just before we went on air, got the press release from the UFC officially announcing the event. Uh, but but that fight was reported on Monday. And uh, uh, BJ's going back up to, to welterweight after losing uh, his lightweight title and failing to get it back from Frankie Edgar. So I want to get your guys' uh, reaction to this fight and uh, what, what you're expecting to see now that this UFC 123 card is looking a bit more uh, entertaining, uh, Rich, let's start with you because I know we we had talked a bit back and forth a bit with this last night. Oh, I couldn't be happier. This is a fight that that has been in the making since what 2006 when the second one happened, and and I, not because of the BJ Penn nut hugger in me, which still exists apparently, that says, oh well, he got a broken rib. He got a broken rib because man, he was broke his rib and he won the fight. But, I, I mean, how can you not be excited to see, I mean, two of the, the all-time top dogs. Uh, Matt Hughes is in the Hall of Fame. BJ Penn is going to be and is a two-division former champion. Uh, they, they have history together. It, it, they might not be in title chases right now, but they both could be. Hughes is being vastly underrated, as is BJ. I mean, this is phenomenal. The, the only thing that I would hope is that this would portend BJ staying at 170 as opposed to bouncing back and forth. That's the only possible negative out of this. Regardless of how the fight goes down, that, that's the only, the only downside I see. I love it. Matt, your thoughts here? Yeah, same thing for me. Um, I love that we're getting a little fresh blood at 170, which is funny because it's two guys that have been fighting in the UFC for years and possibly the greatest welterweight champion of all time, but... Matt Hughes somehow seems fresh and relevant at 170 right now, coming off of a few straight wins, especially the last one choking out Ricardo Almeida in a fight that, you know, many people, me included, thought he was going to lose. Um, but 
BJ moving up is what I wanted to see uh, after after the fight with Frankie Edgar. I, I just I think he's accomplished everything he can and needs to accomplish at 155. And not that I think he's at the tail end of his career, but having been a champion for a couple of years, having been around for so long, he's at the point where it's you know let's let's see what else there is out there for me. What what fun fights can I take? Um, you know, a trilogy with Matt Hughes certainly makes a lot more sense than a trilogy with George St. Pierre. Um, but who knows? If BJ can string together two or three wins over opponents of the caliber of a Matt Hughes, then there's no reason he can't earn his way back to another crack at the, the welterweight title. I don't know if we'll ever see that. Maybe he'll switch back and forth. Who, who really knows? Um, but I'm just excited to see this fight. It, it somehow, uh, several years later feels fresh again. Uh, yes. With with the addition of this fight and also uh, another big lightweight fight between Joe Lozon and uh, George Sotoropoulos, which actually that booking makes a lot more sense now that this is the route they were going with BJ. Uh, but with the addition of those two fights to this Detroit card, uh, this is quickly becoming one of the more intriguing uh, events that doesn't have a title fight on it. Uh, how much bigger for you, Matt, is is this 123 card? And uh, are, are they going to be salvaging a lot of pay-per-view buys with the cards they're putting together? I think it's going to do good numbers. BJ has proven that he's a draw. Um, Rampage is a draw. Machida is a draw. Matt Hughes is a draw. I mean, there's that's, that's four guys who by themselves in fights can, can draw pay-per-view buys. Um, and that's two huge fights at the top of a card. That's, that's as good of a one-two punch as you're going to find on a UFC pay-per-view that doesn't include a title fight. Then along with, you know, uh, Sadaropoulos against Joe Lozon, um, it looks like Mark Munoz is going to fight Aaron Simpson on that card. There's, there's, I mean, the, the top two fights alone make it a must-see card. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be top to bottom. It looks like it's going to be a really strong card. Yeah, and 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 with that, I mean, they're going into a market that is is really uh, battered by the recession, and and the economy in Detroit is one of the the worst in the country. So, you know, I, I've been saying since that. They uh, said that this was going to be the uh, location of the event, that they really need to conservatively price this. And uh, I still believe that because, you know, they don't have a title fight on the card, but it's going to be a much um, easier sell with what they're putting together here because I think it's a very interesting event. Uh, Rich, your thoughts on, on this card as a whole now that uh, uh, these, some of these fights are now uh, involved with it as well? Well, I, I think there's enough evidence to prove that it's not just a fluke or a coincidence, a tre- but a trend when the UFC goes into a new market. And, yes, I realize that they were there in 1996 or whatever for UFC 9, but in the Zoof era, they go into a new market. They're going to headline with a non-title fight and a very strong supporting undercard. Uh, it happened in Memphis, Abu Dhabi, Boston, uh, just off the top of my head, Dallas. Well, Memphis had the title fight, but that was supposed to be Rampage or shot. Let's not forget until Rampage went crazy. Um, and and they're doing it again. Uh, the card itself is, you know, as a result, really deep. I mean, let's. I mean, in addition to what Matt was saying, I mean, Carol Parisian versus Dennis Holman looks really good. Matt Brown versus Rory McDonald is is just created for Spike TV. You know, let's get an extra hundred thousand buys when these two set the roof on fire. And Gerald Harris. Uh, I mean, that's got uh, Spike TV written all over it as well. And the card is fortunately deep enough that Tyson Griffin versus Nick Lenz will hopefully be on an unaired prelim so that it won't kill everybody's desire to ever watch MMA again. <laughs> very, very, very true. 
Uh, well, you know, I, I, we're, we're going to go right to uh, the conversation that I had with uh, uh, Ariel earlier this afternoon, um, and then we'll, we'll come back after uh, that with uh, plenty more to talk about on, on the fights from over the weekend, uh, Bellator last week as well. Um, we probably won't spend very much time on that, but uh, we'll, we'll hit some of that stuff as well. So listen into this conversation if you want to get in. Uh, later, you can uh, um, call 646-716-8090. Uh, you can also join us right now in the chat room uh, as this conversation with Ariel Helwani is going on, uh, and we can go back and forth in there as well. So uh, listen in here. This is uh, myself talking to Ariel Helwani earlier this afternoon. Uh, a lot of great stuff from Ariel today, so uh, definitely um, listen in to, to what he's got to say. Uh, we'll hit this subject and play more. So. This is MMA Torch editor Jamie Pennick, and I'm joined by a special guest today. Uh, it's MMAfighting.com's Ariel Helwani. Ariel, how are you doing? Good, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, Ariel, I wanted to get you on today. You uh, confirmed news yesterday that uh, Matt Hughes and BJ Penn uh, will complete their trilogy at UFC 123 uh, in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Now, I, you went on Twitter saying that you were anxious to talk about it, so... I thought I'd drop you a line and see uh, if you wanted to come on our show and discuss it today. So uh, I'm as excited about this fight as you are, but uh, what, what were your initial thoughts when, when you were hearing this, this news and getting this uh, fight confirmed? To be honest, at first I thought it was a joke because, actually for a couple of reasons. First, you know, after UFC 117, Matt Hughes said, and he seemed pretty adamant that he really did want to go away for the rest of uh, 2010. He wanted to go on vacation, go hunting, relax, rest, and all that stuff, and you know, he kind of said the same thing after UFC 112 uh, in Abu Dhabi when he beat Hanzo Gracie. He said he wanted to take the rest of the year off. They call him back to fight Almeida, uh, finishes him off pretty quickly. He says the same thing, and now here he is fighting three months later. So I, I really didn't think he would come back. And I thought that BJ Penn would stick around at 155. Uh, personally, I like him better as a lightweight fighter. I always think, you know, regardless of his last two uh, performances, I think historically he has performed better as a lightweight. And uh, I thought he would stick around as a lightweight. But he actually just put out a little video clip on uh, BJPenn.com today saying that he was going to fight a lightweight, but they got injured, so the UFC gave him, quote, uh, an offer he couldn't refuse. Dana White did. So he took uh, the offer, of course, which is Matt Hughes. And as a fan, uh, it excites me greatly. I mean, the, the, the first two fights that they had, two of my favorites of all time. Really, really enjoyed them. And... And I think now UFC 123 all of a sudden becomes probably one of the more intriguing fight cards of the year, at least for the UFC, where no titles are on the line. The main event is uh, Machida against uh, Rampage. You also have Dennis Hallman fighting Kyle Parisian, who's returning. Uh, Joe Lozon, George Sotaropoulos. It's a very exciting card. Phil Davis on the, on the card as well. So as a fan, forgetting about rankings, what does this mean to, for both guys and all that stuff, I, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, we, we were discussing this last week on the show and uh, about – this 123 card before, uh, you know, the Lozon-Sotaropoulos fight came out, or obviously this this fight, you know, we were, we were hoping that it was going to add another uh, big fight or two to, to make it more intriguing. And like you said, with, with the addition of just those two fights, uh, you have, like you just said, one of the more intriguing fight cards that does not have a title fight on it uh, in a long time. Um, you know, it's not going to be as anticipated as UFC 114, obviously, with uh, the Rampage Rashad stuff, but with BJ Penn, Matt Hughes completing a, a trilogy of fights when the first two, you know, like you, most people, 
uh, highly enjoy those fights and still look back on those those two fondly. And the other thing with the two, like PJ said, it's a, a fight he couldn't refuse. That second fight has never really sat well with PJ. And uh, a lot of his fans have you know, talked about the, the rib injury suffered, and um, that's what led to his downfall in the fight. So I think that it, it gives him a chance to perhaps answer some questions from that second fight after he beat Hughes the first time around. And uh, it's just a really intriguing fight card, a really, really intriguing fight. And as, from a fan standpoint, um, I don't know that they could have done better than Matt Hughes for BJ Penn next. Yeah, and uh, I think it's a lot more intriguing than 114. 114 was supposed to have Griffin and Little Nog as the co-main event. Then uh, Griffin got injured, so it actually became, you know, as you recall, uh, Bisping and Dan Miller. So it wasn't, you know, the, the main event, a lot of intrigue surrounding that one. But this one, I mean, you've got four of the, the most popular fighters in the UFC fighting, no titles on the line. And, and you're right, uh, BJ Penn always talks about that loss to Matt Hughes in 2006 as being a turning point for him. Now he's... Uh, faced with a, a two-fight losing streak. He loses three in a row, and it's, it's almost unfortunate because I remember leaving Memphis after he beat Diego Sanchez at UFC 107, and I, and I was seriously thinking, this guy is one of the best fighters, if not the best fighter in the world right now. I mean, the way he looked, uh, how dominant he looked against, you know, um, uh, Diego, Kenny Florian, Joe Stevenson. I mean, he was on a roll with Sean Shirk, and now all of a sudden, two fights, uh, in a row, he loses, and he might lose a third. You know, Matt Hughes has looked really great as of late. It's uh, it's amazing how quickly things change in MMA. So a lot of intriguing storylines going into that fight and that card in general. Yeah, and like you, I, I also think that BJ is much better suited for uh, the lightweight division and sticking around there. You know, I, I, I was in the same thing heading into both Frankie Edgar fights. I did not give Frankie Edgar enough credit uh, I, I had BJ winning the uh, winning the first fight, like a lot of people had it scored, um, and thought with how he was talking, how he was approaching the fight, he was going to be able to get the job done uh, last month at 118. And then when Edgar, to all his credit, uh, came out and clearly has an answer for uh, what BJ pre- what BJ Penn presents at uh, 155 pounds. Uh, you know, if, if he's going to go up, this is the fight to do it for because he's uh, the top end of that division. I don't uh, like BJ's chances that, uh, you know, not that Matt Hughes is, is falling off. He showed against Ricardo Almeida. He's still uh, got plenty left in the tank himself. But uh, at this point, for both of those fighters, I think it's a really good fight. Uh, but you're right, BJ very well could lose this fight, and it would be three in a row after he looked uh, like he was on top of the world at the uh, end of 2009. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny how things can turn very quickly in MMA. But, uh, you know, obviously he won the first fight. You could say that uh, he would have won the second fight if he was in better condition. Took that fight on short notice as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how he turned. Maybe, you know, Hughes is a good uh, matchup from a matchup that he likes. And, and I think that uh, in some ways seeing his old, you know, foe Matt Hughes could spark something in BJ Penn. And, and, you know, let's just say he loses three in a row. I don't think BJ Penn is done. Um, he just ran into a guy in Frankie Edgar who has his number, who was a good match for at least Frankie stylistically. And uh, I, I still think he's got many years left. In MMA, it's just one of those things. Uh, unlike in boxing, guys just jump right back in there. They don't lose a fight. And then, you know, take a tune-up fight to, to, to get a couple wins under their belt. They just keep fighting the best. And if you look at who BJ Penn has fought in the last, you know, three, four years, I mean, it's really a who's who of the Walter Wade and lightweight division. So, you know, I, even if he does lose this fight, he's not done. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. But uh, if he comes in here and beats Matt Hughes, do you think that uh, he, he would drop back down to lightweight? Because if- With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That happens. I see him trying to do whatever he can to get a third shot at uh, George St. Pierre. Yeah, I don't think he, uh, he drops down to lightweight if he wins. Uh, and I think it will take a while for him to get that third chance against, uh, against George. Only because he lost the first two fights. I don't think people are really clamoring to see him get a third shot. I mean, it, it, that's kind of a tough sell. The guy lost twice. And I know the first one was somewhat controversial, but the second one certainly wasn't. Uh, but he could, you know, if he does win, there are interesting fights for him at 170. I just, I still think, though, that he's better at 155. I mean, if he goes in there and starts fighting guys like John Fitch or Thiago Alves, I mean, those guys are way bigger than him. And uh, while intriguing fights and... Certainly, you know, they're, they're, they're fresh matchups. I still think he's better at 155, but as long as Frankie Edgar is now the champion at 155, where does he go there? It's sort of the, the, the predicament Rich Franklin was in a couple of years ago when he lost twice to Anderson Silva so at middleweight. So, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily blame him for moving up to 170. No, I don't either. And, and you know, I, I just think this is a really great fight for both BJ and, and Matt to, uh, you know, do the rubber match and, and have it. And it's not, it's still technically a fresh matchup because the last time they fought was in 2006. So it's not one of these where uh, they're, they're fighting with, with BJ Penn and Frankie Edgar, they fought twice in the same year. This is, you know, plenty of time in between to make this a fresh and exciting matchup again. Yeah, totally agree. Now, it, this isn't the only uh, really exciting event the UFC has coming up because 121 in next month, Brock Lesnar, Cain Velasquez with the UFC Primetime Series uh, behind it. And then 124 uh, is going to have a ridiculous atmosphere in Montreal for GSP uh, Koscheck. Uh, what are the fights you're most looking forward to here this fall with uh, UFC and Strikeforce? Because there's, there's a lot of really, really exciting fights still left on the docket in the fall. Oh, man, yeah. it's uh, We've got a great lineup coming up. Ooh, I, I can, like, pick out a fight, every card that I'm really looking forward to. If you want me to pick out... Just a couple. I think Brock Lesnar, Cain Velasquez is so intriguing. Uh, I actually think Cain Velasquez is going to win the fight, but uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that he's going to roll over him. I just think that um, he presents some interesting problems for Brock Lesnar. But anytime Brock fights, it's very exciting. So I can't wait to see that fight. I can't wait to see Jake Shields make his uh, his UFC debut. I can't wait to see Rampage Machida. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, as a Montrealer, I think GSP Koscheck is going to be an amazing atmosphere. Even though I wasn't really clamoring to see that fight, now you throw in the element of it being in Montreal. I think that's going to be really interesting. So there's, there's, 
there's a lot of fights. I mean, and then you talk about strike force. What are they going to do with Fedor? They've got some interesting options for him. They go the Bigfoot Silver route, which I think is the route they should go. I, I don't think they should go the Josh Barnett route, but Barnett now is another interesting uh, wrinkle into their heavyweight division. And uh, excited to see Nick Diaz fight KJ Noon. So, I, you know, I think even a fight like Sarah Kaufman and Marlouz Kunin, there's really a lot of good fights coming up. So hard for me to pick one. If I, if I did have to pick one, I'd probably pick Brock Kane. Yeah, that's. I think that's the clear front runner for for favorite fight of of the fall right now, and I think with the primetime series behind it, it's going to be uh, just a massive, massive event for the UFC. Uh, I'm hoping to be out in Anaheim as well for that one, so um, we'll definitely have to, to meet up out there in Anaheim. But uh, I differ I, I, from you on, on that fight. I, I agree that uh, Velasquez presents some uh, very intriguing uh, challenges to, to Lesnar in that fight. Uh, but I really go back to that, that Czech-Congo fight and the way that Congo was able to, to stun him a couple of times, and Velasquez was able to rely on his wrestling in that fight, and that's not something he's going to be able to, to, to use as a fallback against a guy like Brock Lesnar. So I, I, I think Lesnar retains, but I, I think it's going to be uh, probably the biggest test he's had outside of surviving the onslaught from Shane Carwin, because I think Kane's going to be able to, to hang with him for at least a few rounds. Uh, well, I know this sounds weird because it was only a little over a year ago, but I think Kim Velasquez is a completely different fighter than the, the one who uh, beat Czech Congo. Since then, he, he toyed uh, toyed with uh, Ben Roswell at 104. Then what he did to, to Noguera at 110 was just amazing, and he really continues to improve. I think he's a phenom, and, and uh, really one of the, the, the true, true rising stars in MMA. This guy's going to be around for a long time. He's no fluke or anything like that. And I think that while he is smaller than Brock, he's probably going to come in, you know, unless he bulks up, he might come in, you know, anywhere between 15 to 20 pounds lighter than him. I'll say he'll come in at around like 15 pounds lighter than him uh, on weigh-in day. I think he's he's quicker right now. Uh, I think his striking is crisper. Um, we've yet to see his, uh, you know, submission skills, but I don't think this one's going to end in submission, although I didn't think Carmen Lester would end in a submission. That's a different story. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I, I just, I don't know, something about his style makes me think he's going to win, and, and I think he's really improving. Training with some of the best guys in the world, a.k.a., in my opinion, if you look at the guys that they have, got world-class guys like Daniel Cormier, world-class strikers. I mean, they've really surrounded themselves with great fighters in every facet of MMA, and I, I think he's benefiting from that. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with any of your points on Kane. I, I'm, I'm very high on him as well. I just, this is this is another one of those fights where, is it the question in the back of my head is is it too soon for him to be getting this title shot? Um, should it have been Dos Santos getting the, the first crack at, uh, at Lesnar Carwin? You know, uh, and, and Velasquez has been out of action now since since uh, March of this year or February of this year. Um, right. So you know he'll 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 have that eight nine month layoff to, to battle as well. And uh, I just I think that there are so many questions on both ends that that's part of what makes it so intriguing as well. And then to get three weeks of hype on it, I, you know, this is going to be, uh, this, this, I think, with the primetime series, this is going to rival UFC 100 for uh, pay-per-view buys for the UFC. I think it's going to be a massive, massive event. Yeah, hopefully they promote it well, and a lot of people watch primetime. Um, and, and, and I don't know if it can get up to, like, you know, 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, but anytime you have two heavyweights fighting for a title, that's a big deal. Plus, I mean, locally, it's going to be huge. Having a Hispanic fighter fight in Southern California, um, you know, other than John Ruiz, who's Puerto Rican, there's never been a Latino heavyweight fighter in boxing or MMA. 
uh, a champion, excuse me, a Latino heavyweight champion. So that's a huge deal considering the, the history behind, you know, Latino combat sports boxing and, uh, you know, more recently now MMA. So I think that's a huge deal for the UFC. Obviously, Brock Lesnar, in my opinion, is their top draw. But if Cain Velasquez wins, not the worst thing in the world for them as well. And uh, like you said, to get, to get the opportunity to, you know, look into their lives for three weeks leading up to it, especially Brock, who's such an enigma, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really interesting. I think they, you know, if, if all goes well for the UFC, they will hit a home run uh, in terms of pay-per-view buys for this one. Now, I want to get your thoughts on next week's main event. Uh, it was changed at the last uh, last month with uh, Antonio Harrigo Noguera coming up with an injury. So Mirko Krokop comes in to take Frank Mir on in, in short notice. Uh, we've been talking about this fight back and forth a lot with uh, our writers and contributors and stuff. And uh, I just want to get your take on the fight and how you see things playing out with Mir and Krokop. Yeah, by the way, that's another one that I'm really looking forward to. Very intriguing. I saw a uh, clip yesterday like a, a a little like 90 second clip hyping the fight from the UFC and uh Krokop was was amazing in it talking about how uh Mir has a very American approach to selling a fight and to talking about fights and he thinks he's smug and cocky and I I love the dynamic in terms of their personalities the European guy who's sort of quiet and reserved and the uh the smug American I like that very much um in terms of the fight itself I'm picking Frank Mir in this one I think that um you know Mirko's taking this fight on relatively short notice who knows what condition he was in going into the fight. He's a little older now, so who knows if he could bounce back so quickly. And uh, I think when you when you talk about uh, Amir's ground game, one of the better heavyweights on the ground, and I know Krokop is coming off of a submission win over Pat Barry, but that was a bit of a sloppy finish there. Um, I, I think Mir is going to be able to, to, to finish this one out. He has a lot to prove after his loss to Shane Carwin. I think he could keep this fight close enough, uh, clinch, take him to the ground, and uh, use his his wrestling and jiu-jitsu on the ground. And, and I don't know if he'll be able to finish him, but I think he will defeat him. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much in agreement on that. Uh, I, I think I, I'm giving Krokop more of a chance the, the closer the fight gets, uh, just because knowing Frank Mir and, and how he feels about his own striking game and feels about his own talents, sometimes he uh, thinks he, he can hang with people that he can't necessarily do uh, do that against and, and that's a dangerous thing coming against a guy like Krokop that absolutely could put him away if he connects with, with the right shot, uh, especially with Mir coming off of, uh, you know, two vicious uh, uh, beatings to Shane Carwin and uh, Brock Lesnar over the last year. So, uh, you know, th- there could be chin issues here with, with Mir as well, but I, I do think that he's going to win this fight. I think he needs to win this fight, uh, and, but I, I definitely think it's a very intriguing one. Yeah, and also don't forget he had a very big win over Czech Congo at 107. So, you know, he did look very good bouncing back from the Brock Lesnar fight. And, and I think he'll look good bouncing back from this one. And you're right, sometimes uh, perhaps the ego gets the best of him and he wants to prove that he can, you know, hang uh, with the other guy in his strength. But um, I, and, and, I, and, and, and I can see that happening. I could see him keeping this fight standing and turning it into like a kickboxing match. That would not be in his best interest. I think Frank Mir has enough respect for Mirko Krokop where he will try to uh, exploit his weakness and, and take him down to the ground. Yeah, and, and that's that's what I think he'll end up doing, and I, I think uh, logic will end up getting the better of him in this one, and he'll, he'll do what he needs to do to win the fight. But, uh, you know, that's a, that's a really sneaky good card as well uh, next weekend. You know, a, a lot of people were kind of down on it a bit, but I, I, I like every matchup on the main card. 
uh, from Little Nog against Ryan Bader in an excellent light heavyweight fight where the winner is likely to get John Jones in what will be another excellent light heavyweight fight this year. Matt Sarah and Chris Lytle, I think, is going to be a lot better than their um, Ultimate Fighter 4 finale uh, fight. Sean Shirk returning after a year and a half out against Evan Dunham. I don't know that they could have given him a more difficult fight to come back against uh, than Evan Dunham. And then Melvin Gillard, Jeremy Stevens is going to be fireworks to start off the pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Definitely flying under the radar, and I think that's because uh, I think there are just too many cards, to be honest. Uh, you know, there's there's this fight night show coming up on Wednesday, the Ultimate Fighter getting a lot of uh, publicity. We just had 118, 117, which were blockbuster cards. This one flying under the radar, but I agree. I love every single fight on the card. I mean, Matt Serra, we usually hear so much from him. He, it's like we haven't heard a thing from him. He's totally flying under the radar, and, and you know, he's looked very good as of late. So, and I think he's a guy, he wins. He's a player again at 170. And even on the, on the spike card, you got Matt Mitrione and Joey Beltran. I, I'm really looking forward to that as well. So, you know, first time UFC comes to Indianapolis, I'm sure it's going to be a very hot crowd. Um, I can't wait. I actually, I am really looking for, I love cards like this where they sort of fly under the radar. I think the fighters like it as well and they want to like prove a point where people sometimes are talking neg- negatively about it. It's sort of like an underdog kind of card, and I like those cards. Uh, now, Ariel, I, I want to move over to, to you and, and, and writing about this part, because I, I love the work that you do at MMA Fighting. Your, your interviews are always excellent. The, uh, I always go to the videos uh, that, that you post from on-site. Uh, just excellent, excellent work that you do there. Uh, and you also work for Versus as well. And uh, I know you're a, a former pro wrestling fan. Uh, this website was spawned off of a pro wrestling site, the Pro Wrestling Torch. Uh, and, and, you know, I came over from that world as well. What, what brought you into covering MMA, and, and how long have you been a fan of this sport? Well, uh, it's, it's kind of a long story, but I'll give you the short version. I, I, I've been a fan of the sport for for uh, as long as I can remember. I actually remember truthfully <laughs> watching UFC 1 uh, back in the day. I was always a huge pro wrestling, boxing fan. Uh, I loved all kinds of combat sports. My uncle, in fact, was uh, a member of the 1976 judo olympic team and uh, represented lebanon in the montreal olympics so uh, i think combat sports have always been in my blood and uh, i i just loved it and admittedly you know during the lean years uh in the late 90s i wasn't keeping up with it as much kind of hard to and uh, i start you know there's just so much going on I, I was a huge sports fan huge you know basketball baseball whatever fan um and then in college um well just to backtrack a second i i always wanted to be a broadcaster of some sort um, and uh, I remember in high school reading Sports Illustrated where they said that Syracuse University had the best um, school for broadcasting, the Newhouse School. Guys like Marv Albert and Bob Costas uh, went there. So I decided that I was going to go to Newhouse uh, at Syracuse University. I did end up going there. Uh, when I was there, I had uh, my own MMA and pro wrestling radio show. Guys like Dan Severn and, and Bruce Buffer used to come on all the time. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I remember one time in my dorm, I was watching the Best Damn Sports Show, period, the show that used to be on Fox Sportsnet, and Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock came on to hype uh, their fight, the first fight. And I was like, wow, you know, this is great. They're, they're starting to cover MMA and the UFC and all that stuff. So um, I started to really, really get back into it back then. And uh, after graduating from school, I actually went to the, the, the TV production route. Uh, I worked for HBO Sports, and then I worked for uh, ESPN Classic. And at, th- at that point, I was really, you know, the Ultimate Fighter already aired and all that, and it was getting really popular, and I was really getting into it. And I was, it was on this mission to try to tell all these, like, networks about MMA and to try to tell them that they should start 
you know, airing it and covering it. No one listened to me, of course. And uh, so I thought the dream and the goal was to make it to Spike TV to work there. So uh, I actually made it all the way to Spike TV, and I got a job there. And, and uh, I remember after my first week, I was sitting, and I was like, wow, I just made a huge mistake. This was it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Not the place for me, because they didn't really produce any of the stuff on their own. They got it all from Zufa. So, uh, unfortunately, I uh, told them that I had to leave. I had to quit. It wasn't the place for me. They weren't too happy, but they made me stick around until they found a replacement. So, for a month, I was sitting in my cubicle just pretty much doing nothing, and I decided that this was the crossroads of my career, of my life, and I was going to go back to journalism and, uh, you know, pursue my career of trying to be a broadcaster. So, I started my own site, uh, just a blog, jerrypark.com it was called. That's the former home of the Montreal Expos, my favorite baseball team. Uh, who are no longer with us. They're in Washington now. And uh, I, I just started doing interviews uh, with fighters. And uh, I, I was doing a little pro wrestling and boxing too, but then I decided to focus solely on uh, MMA. And uh, I gave myself six months to get noticed. I didn't care if the site got 100,000 hits or 10 hits. I just wanted to get noticed and, and use that as uh, you know a jumping-off point to get a real job covering the sport. And right before the deadline, in March of 2008, I was contacted by site MMARated.com. They gave me a great opportunity to, uh, you know, run their site, and from there it just all snowballed into the position that I'm in now with uh, AOL and Versus. So it's been amazing, all in pretty much two years and change, and uh, it's it's really been like a dream come true, and I hope it it doesn't end. Oh, that that's great, great stuff, Ariel. You know, I I, I also you know remember watching uh, going to Blockbuster and renting all of the old UFC tapes, and uh, just being really into that as well, and then kind of got more back, got back into it in college when the Ultimate Fighter was on and everything. You know, we'd uh, we'd have uh, be watching wrestling and then watch the Ultimate Fighter after it came on. After that, and that's kind of where my passion for the sport kind of redeveloped, and I got back into it myself. So, um, you know, you know, similar uh, paths back into the sport as well. And that's just great, great stuff on on how you got into it. Um, what uh, what do you have planned here for for the next step for MMA fighting and, and versus and, and what you're doing? Because uh, you know you got yourself onto the actual broadcast of the UFC on versus show as you were working with versus and yeah. uh, stuff. What, what what's your next step uh, as a, an MMA broadcaster and journalist? That was insane, man. I I I, I still can't believe I was you know standing there between uh, Goldberg and Rogan. Uh, and I actually just finally got to see the clip for the first time last week, and it seems pretty surreal to me. The scene that I've seen so many times, and I'm just standing there, seems very weird. Uh, in terms of the next step, just kind of trying to build off of what I'm doing now. You know, I do a, a show on MMA fighting 
that airs Mondays live uh, called the MMA Hour. Now it's on two days a week, Thursdays also at 1 p.m. Eastern. So uh, my goal is to have that show every day. I, I want to be on the radio every day when, you know, like I was saying yesterday about the BJ Penn story, you know, something happens, I want to be able to talk about it when, you know, we're not at events and whatnot. And uh, on Versus, it's been great getting to be on the Daily Line, their, their nightly show, which airs 11 p.m. Eastern, um, and getting to do some of the post-fight shows, WEC and UFC. We're doing another post-fight show after WEC 51 on September 30th. So that's been amazing to get to do television as well. And uh, I just want to be able uh, to be seen on TV, radio, and, or, you know, heard on radio and uh, the Internet. I want to be on all kinds of platforms and uh, just continue growing uh, my career within the sport as it continues to grow as well. Well, Ariel, last thing I wanted to, to talk to you about is, is the, the new interview series you guys have been doing at MMA Fighting, the backstage uh, you've done with Joe Rogan and uh, Mauro Ronaldo is the most recent one. Uh, now, I was a fan of Mauro's work in Pride. I have not been, to be honest, in, in Strikeforce. I've, I've, been, um, not, I've been one of the people that has not been on Mauro's bandwagon for his Strikeforce work, but uh, I've got to say that, that interview that you did with him, nearly 30 minutes long, excellent, excellent, excellent stuff, and uh, I, I think even uh, people that aren't fans of Mauro came out of that with a newfound respect for, for the man, uh, even if they're, if they're not a fan of his work. Uh, I think Very, very enjoyable. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I know that a lot of people have been down on, uh, you know, I guess his career lately. Um, I, I'm just not so sure that Showtime and CBS are using him in the right way, uh, especially in that third man role uh, when, he, you know, he's paired with Gus Johnson. I just don't think it's, it's, uh, it's just a good fit for him. I think he should be the play-by-play guy. And, and uh, I, I've known Morrow, you know, the interesting thing about Morrow is when I started my uh, that site, jerrypark.com, and uh, it was only up for a month, the, the producer on his show, John Pollock, who also works on uh, live audio wrestling, uh, contacted me to be a quote-unquote insider on his show. And I was, this, to me, was the greatest thrill, the greatest honor that I was going to be on Morrow and Alice's show. And he had me on his show for the first time. I remember it was Thanksgiving of 2007, and I was so excited that I was going to be on his show, and ever since then, he's always had me, and he's really the first guy to actually like give me the time of day, and I've always been very thankful to him for that, and one day, I got to hear a bit about his story, we spent some time together in Toronto, and I was like, this is incredible, no one knows this, um, and I think a lot of people would respect you a little more, and, and it would, you know, just be fascinated to hear uh, about your story, so he said, yeah, yeah, whatever, and I was like, well, we're going to do this interview, and then when backstage started, uh, you know, the first guy that I actually had in mind was Morrow. And it just so happened that we did Rogan and uh, Ed Suarez, you know, before him. But it was perfect for the the moral story, and I'm I'm really happy that people have liked it, and that actually, you know, we get a lot of emails, and he has told me that he got a lot of emails. People who suffer from bipolar disorder, who uh, have now been inspired by his story, and are trying to get better and to, you know, be productive and whatnot. So it's pretty amazing to have that. And and all I did was just ask questions. He he, you know, he was the star of it, and. He allowed me to enter his world, so I was just happy to go along to the ride. Yeah, that was another thing that I, you know, that I didn't know about him. But um, my brother is actually bipolar, so that's that's another thing that kind of uh, hit for me. It hit, hit a chord because I, uh, I think I have a better understanding for uh, who he is and where he comes from because of that. And I, I thought that was just uh, some excellent, excellent stuff. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, Ariel, uh, thanks for taking time out to, to chat with me today. Uh, we'd love to have you back on the show anytime you're available. 
you know, we're here every Tuesday night, so we, we would love to talk to you whenever you can. Well, thank you very much, Jamie. Uh, you know, you guys do a great job. Uh, always been a fan, always been a fan of Pro Wrestling Torch, and I've always appreciated you guys, uh, you know, linking to me and sourcing and just covering, you know, the stuff that I cover and your analysis and whatnot. So, pleasure, and anytime you want me on, I'll be there. Thanks, Ariel. Take care. And we will hope to have uh, Ariel live with us uh, here in the upcoming weeks, but uh, it, was, it was great to talk to him this afternoon. Uh, Rich, Matt, any, uh, any thoughts on, on Ariel's comments uh, throughout that, on what's, up, what's coming up here uh, the rest of the year? Um, uh, I, I, go ahead, Rich. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, uh, he's great. He, he, he is the... I think the leader in in the industry as far as MMA journalism and reporting goes, he's the first to cross over into multimedia and become a star in MMA without fighting or shaving his head and promoting fights. Uh, and it shows why. I mean, he, he's humble and extremely talented and personable, and, and he has contacts with everybody as a result. And more power to him. Yeah, and I'm glad he's stuck around in this uh, still somewhat niche sport um, when he's probably had opportunities to go cover sports on a more national stage. And, and certainly as a guy, that, like he said, that's been a, a big sports fan his entire life, that's probably something he would like to do. But he's been, uh, you know, one of the, the pioneers of covering uh, MMA, especially online, and, and a guy for us to look up to, certainly. We've got a little over 50 minutes left in the show, so if you'd like to get in the conversation today... Call in to 646-716-8090. Just press 1 to indicate you want to talk. We'll uh, try to get your questions on the air. Uh, you can also uh, join us in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash Uh We are here every Tuesday night from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you can also follow us on the web throughout the week at MMATorch.com, as well as on your iPhone or uh, Android phones with our app in both of those stores. They're, they're free apps. You can pick those up now. Uh, just search MMA Torch in either the uh, App Store or the the Android market, um, but we've got plenty to cover here uh, in the next 50 minutes. But there were two uh, pay-per-view events last weekend that were not run by the UFC. Shine Fights actually uh, went through with their event on Friday night in uh, Oklahoma on an Indian reservation, um, and by all accounts, it was pretty much the uh, cluster mess that. It could have been predicted. Uh, fighters going through the ring ropes and uh, some very pro-wrestling-looking spots with, with guys falling to the outside on, on, onto a table at ringside and some stuff like that. But uh, Drew Fickett ends up winning the uh, tournament and spending not even eight minutes in the cage total as he submits every one of his opponents uh, in the first round. Uh, finished off Carlo Prater in the finals who made it there after losing a decision but getting called back because um, uh, Crunkleton could not continue, um, and he beat someone that uh, had won a qualifying fight because that guy couldn't continue either. Uh, so it, it was uh, Drew Fickett taking on Prater, who had gone to decision in his previous two fights and had to immediately fight in the finals, uh, didn't get any rest between his decision win in the semis and then uh, getting choked out. Uh, by Drew Fickett, but for Fickett, someone who has been uh, embroiled in a lot of personal 
battles and had a very bad stretch uh, over the last uh, uh, two years where he lost a, a ton of fights after having a lot of promise as uh, one, one of the world's uh, you know top prospects uh, in a couple of divisions. So uh, it, big, big night for Drew Fickett in a, in a night where the event actually took place and we were uh, thinking up until, you know, the day of that there was a possibility it, it, it wouldn't have gone off. Uh, but Drew Fickett wins, and uh, thoughts here, uh, Matt, on, on Drew Fickett's victory in the tournament. I, I think this was, um, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter really any either way, but I, I think the only person who could have actually really benefited from winning this tournament would have been Richard uh, Crunkleton because he's the only actual decent fighter that was in this mix, that if he had won three fights in one night against uh, a couple of these other guys with names, you know, Drew Figgett, Crazy Horse, Carlo Prater, guys like that, um, at least it could have been a springboard for him to, you know, a ticket to, to one of the big shows. Um, but instead he had to pull out with an injury, and uh, Drew Figgett gets three finishes. Uh, he, he, you know, had three wins in one night, which is more than he can do in an entire year in 2009. Um, but that's a guy that's he's just completely fallen off the map. He's gotten up there in age. He has a ton of fights under his belt. So I don't think this means anything, you know, extra special for him. Um, kudos to Shine Fights for actually putting on a show. Uh, I didn't think that would actually happen, but it did. Uh, it went about as, as poorly as we all anticipated it would if it, if it went down. But um, it happened. Um, and then they put on a one-night tournament with eight guys. So thumbs up for Shine Fights, I guess. Rich, your thoughts? <laughs> you, you, you sound so sincere, Matt. Well, yeah, I, I'll, I I'll disagree a little bit. Um, I, I was majorly critical of the tournament, still feel really dirty about it. But, I mean, truthfully, when he's not suffering from his personal demons that I think we all know about and going to hear, is a very good fighter who's always on the radar. I mean, he has, you know, like you said, I mean, he's beat Pellegrini, he's beat Nostrad. Oh, I mean, not a fan of too, but he still has that Nostrad himself. He's a really good fighter. And he had his problems, and it showed, I mean, he lost five in a row, and seven of eight, and eight out of ten. Um, but there's no reason... You know, a, a really thin, well-choice vision that strike force wins say, hey, you want to back on 15 pounds and, and be two fights away from it? Yes. I mean, there are worse things that he can do. I mean, even if it's in the right place, he's a very good addition, potentially, to strike force. Did he use a right now? No, but, I mean, they have what, 50, 50 pounds. He's 30. You know, he, he's an old 30. I'm giving that. But, I mean, compare as an old 34, and, and he's fighting uh, still for the UFC. I mean, his brother, obviously, is the same age. An old 34, he's still fighting for all the competition. There's no reason to say he can't turn around. So I think that can't mostly gain. And it's very possible that he's put himself back on the radar. And if anything good has come out of this, then that will be one more good thing coming out of it than I expected. Moving on to the Saturday night event, because uh, no need to spend any more time on, on Shine Fights. It was Shark Fights 13 in Amarillo, Texas. Keith Jardine taking on Trevor Prangley in the main event. Houston Alexander and uh, Sokaju in the co-main event. And then Paul Daly on this card as well against a beefed-up lightweight in uh, George Mosvidal. Uh Rich, you covered the event uh, for us on Saturday night. 
what, what were your thoughts uh, overall on, on the quality of fights uh, before we get into the uh, epic uh, commentary by Don Fry uh, and Boss Rutten? It, it, it was okay. I mean, th- there's something to be said when you say that it's the best maybe ever North American pay-per-view that isn't UFC or Affliction. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And, it, it, and the best that you've got is, you know, Keith Jardine, Trevor Prangley. I mean, it was okay. It, it was fight night quality. You know, I mean... You could have put it on Versus for two hours and chopped off, uh, you know, the Via Senior Villafort fight and, and thrown it on Spike TV and been fine with it. You know, thirty bucks, um, no, but it was okay. I, they got good results. I mean, Safadine be, beating an uninspiring, uninspired Brock Lesnar was good. Paul, Brad, Paul Bradley was fine. You know, say, I'm sorry, what? You uh, had a little slip there. Is Brock Larson? Oh, I said Larson on, on that card. Yeah. 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 But, oh, yeah. I'll want to, yeah. Yeah. He sucks too. That, that um, probably would have let yeah, you know if you beat Brock Lesnar. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he, he, he went in unprepared. He got fat. He went up. He got up to like 265 pounds. It was, it was really sad. Um, I mean, Joey V. Senor is less than what I think everybody thought he was because he got absolutely clowned by Danilo Villafort. Uh, who was a last-minute replacement and was kind of blown up just to, to make, you know, to get up to weight. And he's young and up-and-coming, and he can be something. Safadine can be something, too. Uh, Masvidal really hung with Paul Daly, and let's hope that that explodes the myth of the the devastating nuclear bomb Sentex-powered right hand of Paul Daly. I mean, he hit Masvidal 15 pounds heavier. Masvidal didn't go down. So could you, Alexander fight was just awful, but a hell of a comeback. I mean, I don't think So could you is capable of winning a fight that lasts more than five minutes, even if he were to fight against my cat. And Jardine and Prangley was okay. They're both borderline UFC quality fighters. I mean, it's, you know, it was an all right night. I'm not going to get too overwhelmed, you know, or hyperbolic about it. It was okay. Now, for those that didn't see the event, uh, they obviously have missed out on the the commentary from Boss Rudin and Don Fry. Uh, Don Fry wearing a an American flag button down shirt and spouting off uh, some ridiculous commentary for 2010, especially. Uh, but g- give some description of, of of what that mess was uh, as you were listening and watching the fights. 
Oh, God. I, I mean, I'm actually happy that, that I had to spend so much time paying attention to typing it up because I think I would have pulled all my hair out if, if I was paying full attention to the abomination that is a drunken Don Fry um, with nobody even trying to control him. It, it was pitiful and pathetic and sad. And all the fanboys, you know, in the chat rooms just, you know, laughing every time he makes a rape joke or, or a prison sex joke or, you know, or a, a beating your wife joke. I mean, that's what I remember telling you, Jamie, while it was going on was I really hope Bob Riley doesn't get a hold of this because anyone wants to go to Madison Square Garden and see the fights, you know, it's going to be that much harder now. Uh, he's bad for the sport when he's in his shtick and is being a caricature of himself. And the thing that pisses me off is that he's so personable, he could be a huge asset, but he's an absolute train wreck to the sport right now. All right, Matt, I want to talk to you about the results from this uh, this show here. What What's next now for Keith Jardine and uh, um, Sokaju? And then also Paul Daly after uh, a less than inspired performance. What what's next uh, for for these three guys after losing in uh, the case of Sokaju and Jardine, and then also uh, Daly for for looking um, as bad as he did against uh, a beefed up lightweight Masvidal. Well, I think as far as Jardine goes, I I think most people thought that he if he won this fight he would have been invited back at least for one more one more fight with the UFC. Um, I don't think that changes too much. I think he's still a guy that the, the UFC likes having around. It's just they, they can't have guys that lose every time out. So now he might need to put together, you know, back-to-back wins before he gets invited back. Um, the only problem is he's, he's 34, and, and he seems to really be slowing down. Um, he got rocked a, a couple times by Trevor Frangley, as he does in pretty much every fight. He managed to not get knocked out. So that's, I guess, a, a win for Keith Jardine. Um, compared to his last few fights. Um, but but like I said, I, I think it's a couple wins, and, and they'll probably give him another shot in, in the UFC. I just don't know where those wins are going to come from. Apparently he's been suspended indefinitely by the Texas Athletic Commission for shoving a referee who we thought was a fan trying to grab him. Um, you know, Trevor Prangley won the fight, but I don't really know where he goes. He, he could always be brought back by strike force, but uh, he's 38, so I don't really know why uh, why the UFC would be interested in him at this point. Um, he, he's not ever going to be a contender, so I don't know why they'd spend money to bring him in just to be a gatekeeper. Um, uh, excuse me. So could you. I, I think he's done. I, I don't – I mean, he'll, he'll keep getting fights as long as he – you know, somebody keeps signing him, but he hasn't been a relevant fighter since he knocked out uh, Antonio Rogerio Nogueira and Ricardo Arona on back-to-back fights in pride um ever since he's been in the ufc he's been exposed you know uh, survived the onslaught which is becoming less and less of an onslaught each fight out uh and you know your little sister could push him over in the second round um paul daly i i think strike force i think he's still valuable to strike force i think he's a, a great opponent for nick diaz um especially the publicity he's gotten even from the the shove or you know taking the shots at Josh Koscheck after the fight um, and getting kicked out of the UFC I, I think that could actually work in his favor as far as getting a job outside of the UFC um, you know he can come in with a uh, you know a bad boy versus bad boy uh, fight against Nick Diaz and that'll that'll sell 
and they don't have to, you know, they're they're not going to show the footage from this card, so they can just say, hey, he he beat a guy that we just signed to a six fight deal. Um, and they can, you know, write their own history there and, and sell it that way. Um, but I still think, you know, obviously with his comments and his performance on Saturday, he's not certainly not any closer to getting back in the good graces of the UFC. Uh, Rich, what do you think is going to happen here with Jardine after this loss? Well, Jardine made a tactical mistake. First of all, what like everyone has realized, by taking a really tough fight as opposed to a lighter fight that might get you in. But the mistake he made, and he's said it publicly, I don't have a source, unfortunately, uh, with me or right in front of me, is that he specifically avoided uh, talking to strike force because he wanted to do one and back and get back into the UFC, or at worst, two and back, and he was afraid talking to strike force, bad move. Essentially, he bet on himself. He bet on a guy who lost four fights in a row. Oops. And now, strike, he, he's damaged to the point where even strike force isn't going to touch. Whereas, at least he could have been in, you know, big fish in a small pond, as opposed to now he's small fish in a, in a, in a big pond, the pond being all the other free agents in the world. And, and he bet on the wrong horse. And He's better than everyone else in that pond, but hes it's going to be next to impossible for him to repair his, for lack of a better word, his image, because who is he going to be able to beat to show that he is credible? It's not a position that I would want to be in. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely in agreement. It's it, With five straight losses, he's going to be relegated to an even smaller show than Shark Fights, uh, a more regional show. With each subsequent loss, he is losing money on the next fight that he can take because uh, uh, these organizations aren't going to be able to offer him much, and uh, you know he's not going to be able to ask for much coming off of five straight losses the way he has. I mean, it's not like uh, he hasn't been facing a lot of really tough competition. I mean, Trevor Prangley's a natural uh, middleweight, and that's the fight that's the weight he fought at uh, before this fight. So I mean it's 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 a tough sell after losing to uh to Prangley but I mean coming off the losses to uh Matt Hamill and Thiago Silva and um oh, everything that he had done in the UFC in that that final four fight run uh is it you know he's fought some really tough competition he's just come up short uh in a lot of those those cases and he did so again on on Saturday so it's just tough to see what he does next because after losing this fight, it's hard to see him finding a way to get back into the UFC anytime soon. And had he won this one, it might have been maybe one more fight out of the organization and he would have been brought back in quickly. Uh, so, so now I think he's got a much longer journey and a much more difficult journey, uh, not only um, you know finding places to fight, but finding people to fight and finding fights that are uh, for the, the right money right now. And I, I don't know how that's going to work with him. So. Yeah, agreed. Uh, he, he he gambled on the short term and never even factored in. It's the fighter mentality, I, I presume, that he never even considered the possibility of losing, and, you know, now he's stuck. Yeah, definitely. The only, um, the, only, uh, the only real winner out of this card is, is Tarek Safadine because he got a win over a respectable name. And he's he's a legit exciting prospect at 170, and, and other than Rory McDonald, we really don't have a lot of those running around. So if if you know he's currently under contract to Strikeforce, if if they don't move him along at the pace he's he he is liking, then when his contract runs up, 
I think he's a guy that you, the UFC could certainly snatch up. I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, BJ Penn and Matt Hughes being some, some fresh blood at 170. So, uh, anytime the UFC can get their hands on a, um, up and coming 170 pounder, I think they need to do it. Well, Masvidal won the defending six-fight contract with strike words right after. Even though he lost, he he's the other winner uh, from from Saturday night because he was really impressive and he won that fight until the last minute when when uh, when Daly hit him and then at the end of the round where when Daly actually took him down, he looked really good and I'd love to see him in strike force against Gershaw for his first fight. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is, is Masvidal is going back to the lightweight division after taking this fight at 170 pounds. So, I mean, taking a loss to Paul Daly is not uh, necessarily a negative, especially if you're in Masvidal's uh, position where you're not naturally fighting uh, at 170 pounds. And for him to go back down and sign a six-fight contract with Strikeforce with Urich, it's a very good deal for him. Um, now, the other signing for Strikeforce, uh, we, we can – discuss whether or not this was a good deal for them or not. Uh, Josh Barnett has been signed to Strikeforce and uh, will likely make his debut uh, late this year. Um, first off, I mean, this is going to be uh, something we'll, we'll have a, a roundtable up on um, in, in print form here in the next uh, um, day or two, uh, probably starting tonight and then uh, the second part tomorrow. But uh, was this a smart signing by strike force, uh, is, is, is Josh Barnett going to uh, be a good addition to the roster? Is it a risk they should have taken? And who do they put him against first? Uh, Matt, your thoughts here on Josh Barnett? I like the signing for strike force, provided they, you know, aren't paying him 200 grand a fight. If it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 50 grand, I, I think it's a fine signing. Uh, he's still a quality fighter. Yeah, he brings a lot of baggage with him. Um, but maybe not all that baggage is bad. It's, it's things you can sell fights with. Um, he can sell fights as well. Um, you, you need in strike force. You know, at the, the top of their heavyweight division, they have uh, Fedor, who speaks little to no English, uh, and has that that crazy lady, you know, translating for him, who's kind of creeping me out every time I see her. Um, and Fabricio Verdum and Antonio Silva, both Brazilians, so. I don't think it would be a bad thing business-wise to have an American who who knows how to sell fights. You know, he's got the pro wrestling background um, towards the top of the card in the heavyweight division. Um, obviously, you, you never know what you're going to get out of Josh Barnett. Who knows the next time he's going to test positive for steroids? Um, could be tomorrow, and we might never see him in, in strike force. But um, as long as he gets fights, I think he matches up with, with any of the guys. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him against Andre Olovsky in his first fight. He'd be a fine fight for Brett Rogers. Um, it's just another guy to add to the, you know, six or seven guys that they have. So that's, you know, six or seven fresh fights that you can put together um, as opposed to just rotating the same guys over and over again. I would hope Scott Coker has learned that when you have a money fight in the heavyweight division, you don't schedule one of the guys to fight against somebody who's not a money fight because Mauricio Verdum's going to choke you out in 91 seconds, and then your money fight has gone to hell. You sign Barnett, you put him in against Fedor immediately. That's the money fight in that division right now as long as Overeem's going to be doing K-1. You worry about where the chips will fall after that. There are six 
guys that he can fight. He can fight Verdum, he can fight Fedor, he can fight Overing, he can fight uh, uh, Bigfoot Silva, Brett Rogers, Andre Arlovsky. You don't build up to the big fight. That's all Strikeforce has been doing is building up to big fights, and they've screwed it up every single time. You, you, you have one fight that you can market, you put it together and you market the shit out of it. That's the first fight, Fedor. After that, then you worry about everything else. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to, to agree with that line of thinking with it. I still think that uh, the Bigfoot Silva fight is one that is... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Right from a competition standpoint, but since Strikeforce has clearly not been about the competition standpoint of the division. Thank you. This is the money fight they have right now. This is the fight that they should put together. Um, but what's going to make me laugh is the fact that uh, M1 Global will not be uh, <laughs> yelling up and down the streets for Olympic-style drug testing for Josh Barnett like they were with Alistair Overeem, despite the fact that Josh Barnett has actually pissed top three times. So, um, you know, that that's going to be the other laughable side of that when, when – the chips fall, but, um, you know, I, I, I think from uh, the standpoint of getting a fighter in there that can be a good fighter and challenge uh, these other heavyweights that are at the top of the roster, Josh Barnett's signing is good. He's got a lot of stigma, though, and a lot um, a lot of baggage that, that comes with having him in the promotion, and, uh, you know, when they went out of their way to uh, test for Overeem, then they didn't test uh, for their event in Houston. Um, they're going to have to go back to testing the entire card uh, with Josh Barnett on it, or no one, and I mean no one, is going to, uh, to to take anything that they do on that standpoint seriously. It's all, I mean, that's a clear message that it was all, you know, to, to, to battle uh, the, the talk about Overeem and, and steroid use and, um, you know, if Strikeforce doesn't even have a drug test for Josh Barnett fighting on one of their cards, I think it's just a sad, sad statement. Well, yeah, if their next card's in San Antonio, then we will uh, absolutely know what they're thinking about uh, Josh Barnett's viability as someone who can pee clean. Uh, I, I think if they do the Fedor fight and Fedor decides that Overeem's on steroids and needs Olympic-style drug testing, but Barnett, eh, he, he, he's out of that phase. He, he's grown up past the steroid thing. He's clean now. Then they, they come up looking like even bigger assholes than they already do, and, and shame on them and shame on pretty much everybody. 
one good thing can come of it, and, and I'll, I'll, I wrote about this a little bit, yet to be published, is that there's the possibility that Barnett says, okay, Olympic-style drug testing, as long as it's for everybody on the card. And then everyone goes through it, and they all not just pee clean, but, you know, blood test out clean. That sets a precedent, which would be very good for the sport, where if Strikeforce can say, hey, we did an entire card, and we did Olympic-style drug testing for HGH and steroids and everything else, we're going to do this. That puts a load of pressure into Zufus court, and I would think that they would have to succumb to that. And Dana White can talk all he wants, but he's, he would be perfectly fine if there was never another drug test as long as he lived. So, I mean, that's something that is going to become an issue when the first Barnett fight starts, you know, when it gets announced and then when it starts rolling forward. So some good can come of this. Matt, your thoughts here? I was just going to say, getting back to a, you know, it's kind of off topic now, but getting back to a point Rich made, um, you know, you you don't, a, a promotion shouldn't build to fights by putting on other fights. Uh, big fights are built to through the results of previous fights. You know, you, you put a fight together, and then based on what happens in that fight, you figure out, okay, well, this is what makes sense, this is what the fans want to see. Um, you, you don't say, well, we're going to try and build up this guy and build up this guy, and eventually they're going to fight, because this is MMA. Um, it's very unlikely that things will ever go according to your plan. The only thing you can plan is one single fight. Um, so while I said, uh, you know, that Barnett could face, you know, Andre Arlovsky or Brett Rogers in his first fight, that was based on the fact that we're hearing uh, Antonio Silva is likely for Fedor next, but certainly if, if they can work it out, Fedor against Josh Barnett is the fight to put together right now. I want to move on to uh, tomorrow night's event. We have UFC Fight Night 22, uh, another event coming to Texas, and, uh, you know, the UFC will likely be doing their drug testing here because they, uh, they know what the Athletic Commission does uh, in, in Texas because they've dealt with it before. So um, we, we've got the UFC's return to Austin, Texas at the Frank Irwin Center for Fight Night 22, uh, originally supposed to be Damian Maya against Alan Belcher, uh, and, and Belcher unfortunately, uh, had, has suffered the, uh, retina injury that, uh, attached retina and it's still, um, bad. he just went through surgery again last week, uh, and gotta wish nothing but the best for, for the talent because, uh, it would be a, a damn shame to see his, his career cut short from something like that. Uh, so, so we hope he can, uh, Recover, but that that was the fight that was supposed to take place. Uh, instead, Nate Marquardt against Husamar Polaris was pulled off of the UFC 118 card from last uh, uh, from last month and is now the main event of this card. Uh, we've also got Efrain Escadero taking on Charles Oliveira. Uh, Oliveira looks great in his UFC de- debut with a really really awesome triangle choke uh, submission on the preliminary card, and he's getting a, a main card slot here. Against Escadero, who came in at 159 pounds the weigh-ins today, uh, so he, he forfeited 20% of his uh, purse to Oliveira. Then also we've got Jim Miller against Gleason Tebow and Ross Pearson against Cole Miller on the Spike TV card. So um, some good fights for tomorrow night to lead into the Ultimate Fighter 12. Uh, Matt, what are you most looking forward to on this card? Most looking forward to Ross Pearson, Cole Miller. I'm a big Ross Pearson fan. Um, I think this is, you know, an, another step up in the progression for him, and, and it's a guy he can certainly beat. 
and a guy he can look good beating. Um, but Cole Miller is a, a respectable opponent, so it's not somebody Ross Pearson can take lightly. Uh, and then I like the main event. Uh, you know, we replaced one uh, sneaky good middleweight fight with, with another, and uh, I think it'll somewhat resemble a, a cleaner version of the uh, Dan Henderson, who's small Polyaris fight. Um, I think Polyaris is going to have trouble getting Nate Marquardt to the ground, um, so I think it, it should be advantage Nate uh, on the feet for the most part. Um, but if he does get playing on the back, we, we saw how much trouble he had on his back against um, Chael Sonnen, and, and Polyaris isn't going to just uh, sit in his guard and, and throw punches. He's, he's going to work. He's going to try and look for that submission. So that's a pretty intriguing fight, um, you know, one that we haven't seen before, and, and Nate can get right back on track towards getting back to a second title shot, and, and Polyaris can throw his name in the hat too with an upset. Rich, what do you think overall on this card, and uh, what are you most excited for? Well, just just to go off briefly, there's one fight on the prelims that we're not going to get to see because they never get to shoehorn a fifth fight in. But I just want to say publicly, I would absolutely really hope there's a couple of quick fights so we can see Dave Branch versus Thomas Durval. I think that's going to be fight of the night, and that's something that I'm going to go out on my way to hunt down. That said, as far as the main card goes, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing Jim Miller versus Gleason Tebow. Um, I think Miller's a fringe top ten guy. Uh, he's being overlooked because he's got such a common name and a common look, and and, and uh, you know not a whole lot of chance to show his personality. And, and you know he's just a normal guy, and he, he's like really above average at everything, but not you know the flashy standout at anything. You know he's workmanlike, but he's really damn good. And Gleason Tebow is an excellent test for him. He's a, he's a really big, huge lightweight. I was kind of surprised he made weight at all. I mean, I'm surprised every time he makes weight. And if Tebow wouldn't have lost a couple of years ago to Joe Stevenson, he'd be at the same level, right on the fringe of the top ten lightweights in the world, too. And that fight really tended, seemed to slow his momentum down. He, he, I know he was coming off a loss going into that. But, I mean, he looked great against Stevenson, and Stevenson crushed him with his wrestling in the second round and uh, got a guillotine on him after after Tebow absolutely controlled him up until that point. I think it's going to be an excellent fight, and that's what I'm looking forward to most. And it kind of irritates me that those two lightweights are fighting behind Oliver and Escadero, easy for me to say, um, on the billing because because they aren't as, you know, as marketable. We'll give him the chance to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much with you on Jim Miller. I mean, he is a, an awesome, awesome, awesome fighter. He has two losses on his record, both by decision to Gray Maynard and Frankie Edgar, the two guys that are facing off for the lightweight title next. I mean, that that says all you need to know about uh, who he is as a fighter. He beats just about anyone else. Uh, and, and you know what? He's, he's won four straight since losing to Gray Maynard in March of last year, uh, coming off an excellent fight against Mark Bocek at UFC 111, uh, and he had, uh, you know, the victory over uh, Dwayne Ludwig at UFC 108 also this year. Uh, the Steve Lopez fight, I mean, that victory was, was a freak injury, but he still yeah. was uh, was winning that fight until that injury. Um, but he also, you know, has decisions in the UFC over Mac Danzig and Matt Wyman, uh, also a submission victory over David Barron. I mean, his UFC career is, is you know, five and uh, or six and one. Not bad at all. Four straight fights right now. A win here 
over a guy like T-Bow gets him, I'd say, one or two fights away from a title shot himself. And if either Frankie Edgar or Gray Maynard is still atop the division, you know, it'll be a chance for him to avenge one of his losses. So that's another easy sell for the UFC. So I'm very much intrigued. And um, I think it's very funny that T-Bow made weight and Escudero didn't on this card. Um, But, uh, yeah, I'm very much excited for that fight. Uh, And let's not overlook T-Bow. It's important for him, too because this is probably his last chance to get a marquee opponent, at least marquee by ranking, not by, you know, perceived value. I mean, his three losses in the UFC are to Tyson Griffin before he became Tyson Griffin, Joe Stevenson and Melvin Gallard. And and he's got wins over, you know, Clemente, Jeremy Stevens, Josh Neer. I mean, he's beaten some really good guys, and this would be huge for him. This might be bigger for Tebow than for Miller, because Tebow would jump from higher into the exact same spot, whereas it's a smaller jump up for Miller if if he wins this fight. This is just such a huge fight in the second level of the lightweight division. Yeah, uh, one slight correction. He also lost to Nick Diaz in his UFC debut, but that's, I mean, that goes along with your point of who he has lost to. And he's coming off an excellent performance against Cal Uno. I mean, he looked great and destroyed Uno at uh, the fight night back in, in March. Um, yeah, he had 90 That is very true, but he, he did look very impressive in that fight. Uh, you know, it lost a split decision to Melvin Gillard that a lot of people thought uh, he got screwed on uh, at the Ultimate Fighter Finale 9. Um, and then, you know, the only time he's been finished in the UFC was against Joe Stevenson and Nick Diaz, which is, is nothing uh, to scoff at at all. And he only has one other stoppage loss on his career, and that was back in 2003. So, uh, you know, Tebow is an excellent fighter as well. Uh, you're right, we can't overlook either him or Miller in this fight. It should be an excellent match. Uh, but, Matt, I'm with you, too. I'm, I'm very intrigued for the main event. Uh, I, I, I think Marquardt Poharis is uh, another really good good fight. You know, Poharis was talking about uh, Marquardt's black belt in jiu-jitsu and thinking that that would mean that Marquardt would be comfortable going to the ground with him and uh, fighting a ground game. I don't see that happening. I'm, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be um, a, a better uh, – I also think it's going to be a better version of the uh, Dan Henderson-Poharis fight. Uh, Marquardt is certainly the better striker of the two fighters, um, and I, I think he's more than capable of keeping it there and doing what he needs to do to keep it there. Uh, I, I'm very excited to see Charles Oliveira on the main card and see what he can do against a wrestler like Escadero. Uh, and then Pearson Miller as well is another really good fight. It's just a, a really good four fights for Spike TV. I mean, it's it's not something you'd put on pay-per-view, but that's not what it's meant to be. For a Spike TV card, there's a lot of entertaining stuff here, and I can't wait to see it tomorrow night. Well, you can put Charlie and Franklin on pay-per-view. You can put this one on the branch ball on pay-per-view cards, same amount of other cards. That's true, but the UFC wouldn't put that pay-per-view on. And I think the underrated aspect of that Jim miller Glayson t fight is that I think the winner of that is in perfect position to move up and fight Kenny Florian in their next fight. Um, you know, the BJ's gone up to 170. Frankie Edgar is defending against Gray Mater. George Sadaropoulos is fighting Joe Lozon. That kind of leaves Kenny Florian without a dance partner, but because of who he is, he's always, you know, at or near the top of the card. 
and the winner of this fight, you know, presumably Jim Miller would be who the UFC would prefer to, to match up against uh, Kenny Florian. Glayson Tebow is not exactly um, the guy they probably want to shoot up the card, but with a win over Jim Miller, you don't have much of a choice. Glayson Tebow is quietly like the uh, Paulo Tiago of the lightweight division, only he's been doing it a lot longer. You know, he's constantly facing, ever since he came into the UFC, facing really, really tough guys every time out. He, he, this guy has not gotten a break. Um, and so his his record has taken a bit a bit of a hit since he joined the UFC. But like you said, look at his resume. He's lost to some really tough guys, and he's beaten some really tough guys too. Uh, win over Jim Miller might finally see him uh, get the respect he deserves. Yeah, that level I, of the I, lightweight division has got some big fights. I mean, Gallard. Tax day is coming. Oh no! But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold IRA with a three percent match. You can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. And, and Jeremy Stevens is another candidate to fight Kenny Florian, uh, the winner of that one. And then you also got Shirk and Dunham, whereas, you know, maybe they're on the high end of that level, and the winner of that is could potentially, you know, fight uh, Syropolis or, or Lozon winner for a title shot. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys that Florian could be matched up with. I've been, since the day after Florian lost, I was hoping Gallard would win and that we could see Florian and Gallard, because that's the type of guy that we haven't seen Florian up against, you know, if if not in just a while, maybe even forever. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment as well, but, uh, you know, a lot of intrigue in the lightweight division now with BJ Penn out of the top spot and now leaving the division. So, I, I mean, with, with him gone, it opens things up completely, uh, you know, People may not be excited for Frankie Edgar Gray Maynard, but it still could turn out to be an entertaining fight. It could it could turn out to be a great rematch, um, and the winner of that fight is going to have a lot of tough challenges. I mean, we're going to look at guys like Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard and see some of the guys coming up to, to challenge them in this lightweight division and think they have a much better chance than they would have against BJ Penn. I mean, that's just how it's going to be perceived to be for the time being, and that's going to make for, uh, you know, a lot of, intriguing title fights and uh, people being a little more excited for the matchups uh, when, when they're not thinking they're going to see the champion automatically retain, which is how it kind of uh, got to be with BJ, uh, especially with both Frankie Edgar fights. I mean, uh, we were guilty of it as well, believing that BJ was going to roll through Frankie Edgar both times, especially after we thought he won the first fight. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot... <laughs> Uh, there's a lot to go with it as well, and, uh, you know, it's it's just a lot of really intriguing stuff, um, but we've got about uh, 13 minutes left in the show, so I want to get quick uh, quick picks on the, the main fights tomorrow. Uh, who do you see winning, and how do they get it done? Rich, your thoughts? Well, I think Nate's going to win over uh, Husamar Baharas. I, I, he's just too – he's – very similar to Dan Henderson, but has more weapons and he's more diverse. And you can read between the lines, meaning he'll do anything other than circle and throw a right hand. But he's got all of Henderson's skills and he uses them. I, I just think he's too good for Husamar Palharis. Then again, I thought he was going to clown Chael Sonnen, and I was slightly wrong about that, too. 
Um, I, I I really hope Oliveira wins, but I've got a feeling that even if he had a chance at the extra four pounds, and I really wish I knew more about that. I'm hesitant to make any pick on that fight now simply because you don't know if Escudero is going to be gassed or if he just said, yeah, I'm not going to get there. Screw it. I'll give up 20% of the purse. You know, and, and he might just be way too big for Oliveira. Um, I, I think Jim Miller is going to get a decision over Gleason Tebow because his wrestling is far superior to Tebow's, and that's like the biggest disparity when you get two guys who are even overall talent. I tend to lean towards the guy who has the biggest edge in in any one specific category, particularly when it's wrestling. And I think Ross Pearson's going to just blow through Cole Miller in about 45 seconds. I, I don't think Miller has anything for for Pearson. Matt, your picks. Yeah, same thing. I think uh, Nate wins a decision over Pogliaris. Um We've seen that Pogliaris doesn't particularly like getting punched in the face. He kept flopping to his back, hoping Dan Henderson would uh, jump into his guard there. If he tries that against Nate, he's just going to stand up and, and work combinations on him again, not just big overhand rights. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a big finishing flourish, uh, much like Neymar Court put on, you know, Wilson Govea or Martin Campman, uh, same type of thing, but I think most likely it goes to a decision. Um, I, I think if the Escudero Oliveira fight hits the mat, Oliveira schools Escudero worse than Evan Dunham did when that fight hit the mat, but the only problem is I don't know if he can get the fight there if, if Escudero doesn't want it there. Um, I think we might see a repeat of the Escudero Dan Lozon fight where uh, Evan Oh God, help is, us all! <laughs> uh, get ready for it because I think it's coming. Um, he oh, can he can sit oh, outside and, and and work one twos and, and win this fight the the entire time. Um, I think Jim Miller is better than Glayson Tebow in every area, but pure physical strength and that really doesn't come into play too terribly often in a, in the fight game. Um, I, I think he outworks him in every aspect, and, and no way T-Bow can, can keep up the same pace that, that Jim Miller can for three rounds. Uh, and, and same with Rich. I think Ross Pearson, certainly within two rounds, but likely within one, uh, knocks out Cole Miller and, and continues his rise up the ladder. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got Mark Hort. I think he'll finish Polaris late in the fight. Uh, you know, very similar, Matt, you touched on it, the, the Wilson-Govea fight uh, especially. I mean, I, I think he can wear... Paul Harris down for, through the first couple of rounds and, and find a way to finish him in the third. Um, you know, I actually like Oliveira, even if even if this fight stays standing. He's got uh, some TKO wins of, of his own and, and, and he's got some some decent hands. Uh, and I, I, I think he can hang with uh, Escudero on the feet. Uh, and I, I definitely agree he schools him if it hits the ground. Um, I like Jim Miller over Gleason Tebow. Uh, Rich, I'm totally with you. Ross, uh, Ross Pearson over Cole Miller. Miller has nothing for for Pearson. I think that one's going to be ended quickly, the same way Escudero ended Cole Miller uh, quickly. So uh, yeah, Ross Pearson moving, is no Junie Browning. Yeah, no, <laughs> Ross Pearson is not Junie Browning. He's yeah, he's, the only he's also not it. Dan Lozon. So stop reminding me. <laughs> uh, but after that, uh, the Ultimate Fighter season twelve will begin. Uh, with Josh Koscheck and George St. Pierre coaching uh, this this season of the Ultimate Fighter, leading into their UFC 124 meeting in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Um, any intrigue on on this season of Tough, the 12th incarnation of this show, uh, and anything you're excited about? Um, do you think that it's going to to be a big 
benefit for UFC 124, uh, or do you think they would have been fine um, hyping this fight as is, uh, or will this be a good vehicle to, to play up the, the Josh Kostjak, uh george St. Pierre fight? Uh, Rich, what do you think? I'm already sick of it. Uh, I'm going to watch every second of the show, and I'm going to be doing 38 other things while I'm watching the show. I watch out of you know obligation as much as anything. Uh, the more Koscheck talks, the less I care, which I think is the exact opposite reaction of what he's going for. So I guess that makes me feel a little bit proud that I'm not falling for it. I think he's phony. I think he's manufactured. I think he's plastic. I don't think we've ever seen a genuine thought or 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 belief come out or word come out of his mouth ever. Um, and everything he does is completely insincere. He, he's he's as insincere as Linus Van Pelt's pumpkin patch. I have no interest in anything about Koscheck because he even admits, oh, yeah, I'm just working people. I, I save things just for the money. You know, I'll play the heel. And then he's he's doing like the, like he's the reverse of Mick Foley getting the cheap pop by saying, yeah, and when 22,000 Montreal fans are chanting F.U. Koscheck, he's planting a chant. I, I mean, that's so freaking contrived. And the fact that people fall for it just really, really makes me doubt the future of Western civilization. Am I overstating <laughs> Matt, Matt, you, your thoughts on uh, Top 12 here? Well, I think Josh Koscheck has officially uh, gotten under Rich's skin, which is exactly what he tries to do. So he's accomplished his goal there. My question is, can he actually get under the skin of George St. Pierre? Because that's not really something we've ever seen. I, I think that's the most intriguing aspect of this season is, uh, yeah, Rich is right. I mean, Josh Koscheck is, you know, doesn't make any bones about the fact that he's just trying to get under people's skin. He's trying to get a reaction. He's he's trying to rattle them. Um, can he do that to the greatest fighter that's alive? Um, a, a guy that's uh, a model of consistency. He's a gentleman. He's the face of the UFC. Uh, he's you know the the first mainstream spokesperson from mixed martial arts. Um, are we going to see him lose his cool at some point? I think that's enough of a reason for me uh, to watch this entire season. And, and and obviously we've seen every time they they do, um, you know, coaches on the Ultimate Fighter fighting after the season, the buy rate takes a you know a jump based on what it would have been if they had just announced the fight and you know had a, a countdown special, you know, the week leading up to the fight. Um, so I, I think it's certainly worth doing this in, in George St. Pierre other than, I think, for, you know, a couple episodes during season four on the comeback. You know, he hasn't been a coach on The Ultimate Fighter. Um, Josh Koscheck, obviously the storyline of him returning from season one to be a coach. We've seen a few other people do that, but um, not with the outward heel persona of, of Josh Koscheck. Um, and plus, it's, it, it's lightweight. So, we can officially wash the taste of, of season 10 out of our mouths with the heavyweights. And even last year at 185, there was some good fights, but not really anything spectacular. I think we'll get back to, to seeing some good in-ring action um, on the show because there's not going to be any way it can get you know too much worse from the last, last two seasons. Great, a house full of lightweights, which means that 12 months from now, the WEC is going to have a whole other crop of bantamweights once the lightweights start cutting. Uh, I forgot to talk about George St. Pierre, which I also guess is a testament to my apathy towards the whole show and the whole premise and both of these guys. 
he, he, I mean, I was talking about plastic. I mean, what, what better adjective to describe George St. Pierre either? You know, he says the exact same thing every single time he talks, and I find a hard time believing anything. I just want any genuine reaction out of him if to make – that's the only thing that will make the show slightly entertaining, other than the fights themselves, let's hope. And I don't think we're going to see it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm really tempted, despite my position on the site, to just not even watch the season. And that's <laughs> because of the coaches. Now, I, I don't said, think that they're – I want to watch George St. Pierre fight. I just don't want to have anything to do with him in between the fights. Two separate. And I, I, I don't know that there's necessarily a, a ton of people that share your uh, thoughts on that one, Rich. I think I think you're uh, to an extreme of people that they've turned off because uh, you know I'm still <laughs> I'm still intrigued to, to, to see George St. Pierre and 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 Kostrek and see if Kostrek is able to get under to under St. Pierre's skin. I think that's an intriguing storyline. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see the lightweight fights and to see uh, what what the two do um, leading in, and I think it's going to lead to a, a, a bigger bigger event at UFC 124. But uh, we've, we've just got a, a couple of minutes left, so I wanted to get out um, a couple of comments that Chael Sonnen made today at the, the UFC Fight Night Q&A before the Fight Night 22 weigh-ins um, because he touched on GSP. Uh, saying, GSP had better pray to heaven above that Shogun accepts my challenge because one of those two is getting beat up uh, in reference to question about whether he'd go uh, after any other champions outside of the middleweight division. Uh, he, he also had a great line, um, GSP, bring your $3,000 suit, bring your $3 date, and get the three-cent tan knocked off your socialist back. If you see GSP, give him that message for me. Uh, that One of many... Uh, gems that Chael Sonnen said during the Q&A, and he even went after Brock Lesnar, saying if Brock Lesnar was here right now, I'd take my boot off and throw it at him, and he'd better polish it up before he brings it back to me. Talking about he's the baddest guy in the UFC, Brock quit eating so many raw eggs and doing push-ups because it's affecting your realm of reality. Are you kidding me? I'd slap you in your face and you wouldn't do anything. Uh, so, you know, Chael Sonnen being Chael Sonnen at the UFC Q&A, uh, and once again, Finishing with a, a, a poem for Anderson Silva saying, Anderson, think it through. There's still a few months before they lock the cage door behind me and you. Last time they raised your hand, but it was plain to see. I took a lot more out of you than you took out of me. I broke the mirror and I blew away the smoke. It was me who tapped, but it was you who broke. Um, we've got 90 seconds left. Just quick reaction to anything Chael said. Uh, Rich, I know you want a break from it, uh, but do you have any comment? No. I'm for a while. No. Yeah. Matt, quick thoughts. Rich, how can you uh, be a big fan of Chael Sonnen but not of Josh Koscheck? I understand Chael Sonnen is much better at his, his shtick, but it's the same thing. It's both uh, saying contrived things to get under people's skin. stopping it today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, thanks once again to my co-hosts, Matt Pelkey and Rich Hansen. 
Uh, thanks to Ariel Helwani for uh, joining us for a conversation, and we'll hope to have him on live uh, in the future. Once again, we're here every Tuesday night from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to uh, follow us on MMATorch.com throughout the week, as well as on the iPhone uh, and Droid apps. Uh, we'll be back next week. For Matt Pelkey and Rich Hansen, this is Jamie Pennick signing off.